Disney's my favorite example of all time because you say, is Disney a products and service company? Yes. Are they a media company? Yes. Well, that's every company today. We just don't perceive it that way. We just don't see it. The same thing is with Red Bull. The same thing with New York Times. New York Times sells products and services just like every other company. They also sell media. Welcome to the Marketing Leadership Podcast, brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. Join your host, Dotso Yobulu, as he learns from CMOs, agency leaders, and business leaders about the state of performance marketing, plus insights on strategies, campaigns, and intelligence for commercial impact. Connect the dots and enjoy the latest episode. This episode is brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. If you're a business needing content promotion, podcast campaign production, or are looking to build effective B2B marketing strategies, Dots is here to offer you ultimate marketing leadership and expertise. Find out more at www.dotslovesmarketing.com. Hi, marketers. This is Dots, and welcome to the Marketing Leadership Podcast. With me here is Joe Polisi, founder at The Tilt. As the father of modern content marketing, Joe is the founder of multiple startups, including the Content Creator Newsletter, Content Marketing Institute, that's probably familiar, the Content Entrepreneur Event Creator Economy Expo, also called the CEX, and he is a best-selling author of seven books, including Content Inc. and Epic Content Marketing, which is named a must-read business book by Fortune Magazine. We will discuss the future of content marketing strategies for better business models. I know you guys are ready, so let's do this. Welcome, Joe. This is a very special exclusive episode. It's an honor having you here. How are you doing? That's I'm doing great. And I'm sure you say that to all your guests. So <laughs> it is a, no, it is a pleasure. Sometimes I talk about content creators and sometimes I talk about marketing and B2B marketing. I'm happy to talk about the marketing side with you today. So thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. No, I know it's different for each guest. When we were researching about you, I'm like, oh, okay, you also did this. Oh, okay, yeah, that that makes sense. That's what happens. Yeah, I get bored. That's what happens when you've been around as long as I have. So I started this thing in the late 90s and yeah, you probably weren't born yet, so. Yeah, I was born the year before, 1989. (laughs) Yeah, you're a baby marketer. Exactly. Well, for those who already don't know you, you want to tell us uh, a bit about yourself, Some of the other things that you do that is what's knowing about. Sure. Yeah. I started in B2B publishing and I was lucky enough to fall into this practice that they called then custom publishing or custom media, where we were creating stories through custom magazines and then blogs and social media for large B2B companies like Microsoft and Autodesk and whatnot. Most of that was just these companies didn't know how to tell their own stories. They needed to start doing that because, oh my God, here comes Google and here comes uh, Twitter and here comes Facebook. And we've got all these different pipes, but we've got nothing to tell our audience except my product information. And I was this, so this is early 2000s. And I started to think, wow, this is going to be a thing. And that's what ultimately came the industry of content marketing, where you had corporate enterprises that don't necessarily uh, involve themselves in media but they started to create their own media brands and own content marketing staffs. And they started to say, look, if we want to get found, if we want our customers to pay attention to us, we're going to have to create valuable, relevant and compelling information on a regular basis. So I started to go full blast into content marketing, left my publishing job, launched with my wife, Content Marketing Institute, as you mentioned, 
we created Content Marketing World, which became the the largest, and I think still is, the largest in-person event for content marketers. And then we had a great exit, left in 2017, wrote a novel called The Will to Die, which was probably the most difficult thing I had to do. And then along with my other six or seven books on content marketing. And then lately, I've been into the creator economy side where you mentioned I started The Tilt, which is a newsletter for content entrepreneurs who want to learn the content business and how to be profitable. And then we have an event called Creator Economy Expo, which is in Cleveland in May 2024. So all that, I've got a nonprofit called Orange Effect Foundation, where we focus on speech therapy for kids who can't afford it. And as you can tell, Dots, I just like to do a lot of different things, have my hands all over the place, but just want to keep helping people stay relevant, stay useful for as long as I can. Yeah, yeah. And you've been an inspiration for guys like us, juggling different hats as well. And some of these things we'll also be touching on as we get through the episode. That's because we stalk our guests. So... <laughs> <laughs> And the first question regarding your profile, before we get into the topic, is you are Robert Rose. That bromance is made in heaven. (laughs) (laughs) We've had him on this podcast and I spoke to him about this as well. But I'm curious, our listeners are curious, where did you guys first meet? So for those of you who don't know, yeah, Robert Rose and I, we met in 2008 at a conference in Chicago called Web. 2.0. 2.0. So it was a innovative web content conference at the time. And we were both there talking about content marketing. And so we went up to each other at the conference. They're like, oh my God, but you're talking about content. Nobody was talking about content marketing then. It's like, you're talking about it. I'm talking, we should do something together. Uh, we started to work on some consulting projects together. And when I felt the desire to launch what became Content Marketing Institute, I said, Robert, you got to be part of this. He, of course, said absolutely, and he was a big part of CMI and our growth and really took over all the consulting practice within Content Marketing Institute. And then in 2013, we were both out of town. We were talking on the phone, and we just had an hour conversation. And I said, Robert, we should have really recorded that. That could have been a podcast or something. And he said, well, let's just do a podcast. So the next week, we started This Old Marketing. That was in November of 2013. And 397 or whatever episodes we're at later, This Old Marketing is still going strong today, one of the top marketing podcasts. And so the good news is that we're still really good friends. And we get to talk every week for an hour about crazy marketing stuff and give our take to it. That's probably the greatest thing I love about the content marketing industry. I have friends like Robert, and that's the relationships you make along the way. The community is amazing. And it just so happened that Robert and I started from the beginning of when it became the content marketing industry. Yeah, that's a very great story. And I will be joining that club soon. I'm just waiting on my passport. I just became a Canadian citizen. So once I get that, I will see you guys in person and and, and buy the exclusive pass to the club. (laughs) And speaking about you and Robert, you guys wrote Killing Marketing. I have read that book. Of course, just to say, by the way, I've uh, watched a couple of episodes of the podcast and I think there's a good job you're doing there. But back to the book. Again, we're speaking off the mic. The book was literally predicting what is going on right now. The concepts of demand generation, whether it's B2B or B2C, and this act of creating a media platform with content that buyers love and just making a content machine out of that and being helpful with that content instead of just being salesy all the time and everything around it. And now 
we have a lot of influencers talking about that. And they'll say something like, I've been saying something like this since 2018. And I'd be like, well, Joe has been saying this since 2001. Or when the book came out, was it 2014, 2015 when the book came out? Killing Marketing came out in 17. Epic Content Marketing came out in 13. My first book, Get Content and Customers, was out in 2008. So yeah, it's, it's very... <laughs> it's very long time ago. 2013 was when I started to a huge fan of Mike Stelzner and the podcast. That was when I heard about you and how you talked about Red Bull and the things that they do and why every business you do things like that. Anyway, why do you think marketers are not paying attention? Why do you think, I guess, not just marketers paying attention and now influencers getting a kick out of it? Sorry if I'm being blunt. No, I think it's starting to happen. It's happened much slower than I thought it would be. When we started talking about this in 2007, like like when I started to talk about full-time, I thought the transformation would happen quicker to brands understanding that they can't just send out sales messaging all the time, that they have to create valuable, relevant information on a consistent basis. That means setting themselves up at least part of their marketing department as a media enterprise. But change takes a long time especially in large companies. And that's why if you want to change your marketing plan significantly, that's a five-year sometime process unless you have an organization that can work quickly. And most B2B enterprises don't and B2C enterprises don't for that matter. So Robert and I really started to talk about this idea that your marketing department can be profitable on its own. And when you do that, when you look at that, say, well, how is that possible? When you build a loyal audience, you mentioned Red Bull, Aero Electronics, lots of other, Cleveland Clinic does this as well. You build a loyal audience as part of your marketing program. You're not just selling stuff. You're saying, how do we build an audience? We got to deliver valuable information. That's through an email newsletter, through a podcast, YouTube series, TikTok series, whatever your core platform is. And then once you do that, you can monetize that audience many different ways. You can monetize it through just marketing stuff. I'm going to sell products or I'm going to sell services or I want to keep my customers more loyal or create better customers. Those are traditional marketing KPIs that you can look at. You can say, look, we're doing this on the content side and we're delivering this. But Killing Marketing talked about six other ways that you can generate revenue. And it's just like media companies do. So if you look at the business model between the New York Times and Cisco Systems, you'd say, wow, completely different business model. Yes, and how the money comes in, but what they're doing to build an audience, it's the exact same thing. You could say, because media people are in Cisco systems just like they're in New York Times, but you'll say, oh, New York Times, it comes in through advertising and sponsorship and paid subscriptions and doing events or affiliate marketing or a premium content products like books and audiobooks. Well, that's what any company can do today. So that's where we really came out with Killing Marketing and said, look, you don't have to go begging for budget anymore to do your content marketing stuff. You can actually be throwing off your own cash in the form of your own profitable events like Salesforce does with Dreamforce or HubSpot does with Inbound. You can have your own subscription programs like Copyblogger does. You could do all these things and you don't have to be an expense only model in, a, in an organization, you can actually be driving off your own profit. And this is just starting to happen. I mentioned Aero Electronics, Red Bull, Cleveland Clinic. They're like Cleveland Clinic's a great example where their health essentials blog throws off more revenue than it does expenses. It, they're paying for all that entire marketing department to do that project and they have a little bit left over. 
So that group of people will never have to go out and say, hey, we need budget to do something. They already have it there. So it's just a kind of a rethinking of is the new marketing content marketing is content marketing. I don't know, but it's coming pretty close to this is the way we market is by delivering value to our customers. It's always been that way, but for a while we get distracted and thought this was through advertisements that was, were meant to distract. And now I think maybe we're back on the right track saying there's a better way to do this, treating our customers with respect, delivering value at all times. And if we deliver value, they come to know, like, and trust us. And when they know, like, and trust us, they'll start to buy from us. Yeah, I would have said killing two birds with one stone, but animal rights people will come after me. So <laughs> I, I recall that just, in, it's, in essence, yeah, <laughs> that's the right way to look at it. But you, so just a little side note, this is back in 2011 or 2012. Robert and I are in Singapore. We're having a meeting with one of the largest consumer products companies on the planet. And they were talking about launching these different blogs at the time. It was all about blogging blogs and becoming the media properties and all these different groups, different audience groups. And we said, well, why don't you act like a media company? And instead of just creating these things inside, go out and buy them. Who's the top blog in this area? Who's the top blog in that area? Who's the top media company in that area? You have a ton of money. Don't wait two to three years for these things to take hold. Let's go out and do it right now. And you can build those audiences and you can be the leading media company in those industries. And this CMO looked at us like we had two heads. They're like, what? Like you could, you could purchase a book. Well, now today we're starting to see it now where you have HubSpot buying the hustle, a million person plus email newsletter, and you have Salesforce buying CMO club. So you have these things that are happening. But again, how long has it taken? 10, 15 years. Change is hard, different kind of thinking. If a marketer comes from a publishing background, they probably understand this. If a marketer comes from a traditional marketing background, it takes a lot longer. Yeah. And of course, these entities that make money for themselves also make money for the brand. So it's like Mr. Beast, he does his content, but he sells festivals through that as well. And on a very even more fun side note, movies, I often think about movies, Joe, like Disney, for example, do they make movies to sell toys? You get what I mean? Movies make their own money, but they also make money for the toys. What do you think? Disney's my favorite example of all time because you say, is Disney a products and service company? Yes. Are they a media company? Yes. Well, that's every company today. We just don't perceive it that way. We just don't see it. The same thing is with Red Bull. The same thing with New York Times. New York Times sells products and services just like every other company. They also sell media. We just have to start looking at it instead of compartmentalizing and say, oh, we can't do that. It's like, well, what makes the most sense today? So Mr. Beast is in a wonderful position because all he's done for the past five, six, well, he started his video blog in 2012. He got, he hit uh, the 30,000 subscriber mark in 2016, hit a million subscribers in 2017. And now he's the most subscribed person. His brand, Mr. Beast, that's Jimmy Donaldson is the name of the person, but his brand is the most subscribed person. So now that he's built that audience, he can launch all kinds of products. He can launch his, the burger. He can launch Feastables. He can launch all these things, very valuable. So that's where you have a lot of startups today saying, well, is it better to create the product and then market? Or is it better to create the marketing first and then the product? And I've always believed in Killing Marketing talks about this. We talk about it in Content Inc. and in Epic Content Marketing. Build the marketing first. Build the audience first. 
They will tell you what they will buy. They will tell you their pain points and then you can launch the products. And that's, that's the best way to launch a business today, in my opinion. I like that. Well, this is an off topic question. Do you think there will be a glut because every brand is now trying to do this or is okay to have survival of the fittest? Sure. That's a great question. There's been too much content for us to engage in with as human beings since the dawn of the printing press. It's the 1400s. There's always been too much content. There will be more content tomorrow. There's not enough time in the day for us to engage in all this. But our needs as human beings continue to change. There's new innovations that happen. That means there's new content niches out every time. There's new jobs. So there's new roles. There's new things we have to educate ourselves on. Shoot, we have AI going crazy. There's all sorts of, there's things, oh, am I going to lose my job? Or will there create... 50,000 new roles that we don't even know about today. Well, that means there's an information gap. And with that information gap, that has to be filled by individual content entrepreneurs, by B2B enterprises, by media companies, by all the above. And that that is actually growing at an exponential rate. So the more content we're seeing, it has to fill all these new content gaps out there. So my answer obviously is no, there's not a glut. There's a glut of ordinary, not really valuable, so-so, mediocre content. If you talk to most companies out there and ask them about how they're doing with their content marketing, most of them are doing very poorly because they are sending their content on every channel. So they're jack of all trades, master of none. They're not investing enough into the quality of their content. They're not understanding their audience's needs enough to be able to be the leading expert in that particular niche. And so most are like, ah, it's not working for us. But if you do it the right way, and you follow the plan and you stick to it and you deliver consistently over time, you become the leading expert and it all works for you. That's the long answer. But the short answer is no, unless you're doing it wrong. Yeah, that makes sense. And I guess if people really go into the niche, like this is my niche and I'm providing great content to that, then I guess we have a lot of isolated pockets where everybody can get their 15 minutes of fame, if I'll put it that way. Well, I think the other thing too is, and you know this, how many people do you know have started a podcast or a newsletter or a website or blog and they've stopped or YouTube channel and they stopped. So from our research at the tilt, we know that in order most content entrepreneurs to get to break even takes about 18 months and that's doing it full time. So if you're a brand out there and you have a campaign mentality and you say, we're going to do this for nine to 12 months, I can tell you with almost certainty, you're not going to be successful because it goes outside the campaign process. You have to deliver much longer than a 12-month standpoint to build a loyal audience. So that's where if you hang around long enough, it took us from 2007 when we launched what became Content Marketing Institute. I didn't know that we were really going to be successful till the middle of 2010. So it was three plus years of and I'm questioning a lot of it, is it going to work, whatever? And we were putting all our time and effort into it, and it really worked out well. But most of our competitors over that time stopped producing. They gave up. So you have to set yourself up for those kind of expectations that it does take a lot of time. It's not instantaneous. And you mentioned before, yeah, there's a lot of the 15 minutes of fame, and there's a lot of people that there's some people, the one percenters, let's say, that they make it right away. There's some viral video that happens and they become famous. That very rarely happens. Most of the multimillionaires and the enterprises that make it work are doing it one, two, three, four years, and then they really hit success. 
Yeah, so if you're listening there, it's about the long game. That is something to look at for the future. Mr. Beast, for example, is he ran his channel for at least a decade. In fact, as of two years ago, his channel was still around 70 million or something like that. Now he's pushing 200 million. So that was a, a short time or a hockey stock, as they will call it. Yeah, once you hit that minimum viable audience, you will see that hockey stick growth like Mr. Beast has. But it's more important to talk about the started in 2012 to 2016. That was zero to 30,000 subscribers. So that put in all the work of delivering all those videos and finding his voice and finding his audience. Four years of delivering so many YouTube videos and then went quickly from 30,000 to a million and then to 70 million and then to 200 million. So it's, but it's that first area that most people give up. Yes, you're right. And now here's something I might have that might help. First of all, it's not 18 months. I think it's two years. And being proactive helps. So with this podcast, we've just been recording insanely. I've got work, I've got family, I've got other things, but I'm recording sometimes nine episodes a week and we are prioritizing as we go. And the reason is not to try to catch up, but to get to a point where now I'm motivated, right? 2023, I'm motivated to do this. Let me do as much as I can. I've been lucky to get guests like yourself. So why not? If not, I've taken the first step. It's helping my boss who is sponsoring this podcast says, Dot, you're crazy, but that's good. So by the time saying in 2024, maybe I have another baby, for example, or I have midlife crisis and I'm, t- <laughs> I'm so tired. The podcast episode is still running. Everything that I've made, which is evergreen, by the way, is still running, is still helping, is still working. So that may, I think if you're listening, whether it's on the personal brand side or as building a media engine for content, I think that is one way to go that may help keeping the consistency going going forward. This has been awesome so far. And guys, if you're listening, we are not done yet. We have not even scratched the surface. So next question. So let us look at into the future of formats now. There is so much going on in terms of the changing consumption behavior of people. People are becoming, in terms of customers, are becoming wiser, more critical, and all that is going on. There is also on the tech side, we are starting to get into the zero-click world. It was for zero-click social, now it's zero-click search with chat GPT and BAD and all these things. There's so much going on on that area. And that is resulting, I don't know if that is resulting, maybe you can give your take on that. Do you think the text uh, content format or text or image content format, do you think that is losing industry share? to other forms of long-form content, like maybe audio or video? What do you think about that shit? If you were to ask me what's hotter, what people are paying more attention to right now, absolutely video, right? There's no doubt about it. Video first, then probably audio after that, then probably text. But to that point, if you look at any of the platforms, they all can work. I talked to an enterprise the other day, then I said, I think there's an opportunity to create a print magazine today because everyone's getting their mail and there's nothing good in it. You can get 100% deliverability to your audience and cut through all that clutter and you're right there and there's no competition. The more important thing is to choose. So when I'll go in and and I'll do a content audit at a company, they usually expect Joe to come in, hey, you're Mr. Content Marketing, tell me what I should be doing. Almost always I go in and I say, you need to stop doing these five things. Like you are distributing content 13, 15, 17 different ways. 
you've got, you're on X and you're doing Instagram and you're doing a newsletter and podcasts and webinars and a research project and a small event over here and another one over there and an in-person event it, or, and uh, whatever, all the stuff. I'm like, you can't be great at any of those things. And in order to cut through all the content that's already out there to your audience, you've got to be amazing. You have to be amazing. Like I talked to somebody that was, I said, how's your email newsletter going now? They weren't very happy with it. I said, what's your open rate? They said, ah, it's like eight or 10%. I'm like, oh, it's terrible. That's like spam. You got to get that up to 30% plus at least and really start to clean that thing and pay some attention to it. It has to be really amazing and really helpful. So that's what I would go is you have some almost like Harry Potter sorting hack. Like you have the choice. Yes. Are there things that may fit you a little bit better? Where's your audience at? Does it make more sense for audio versus video versus text? Do they like books? Do they like blog? Whatever it is, you look at where your audience is at, but you can make a decision what you want to do and what makes the most sense for you. I was just reading an article about Joanna Penn and she had an amazing blog, 2008, 2009, and video came along and everyone was saying, oh, you got to do video. And she wasn't comfortable in front of video. So she decided to do a podcast that's been incredibly successful. So she's just doing an audio only podcast and she's doing just fine. There's no problems there. So I think the more important thing for everyone listening is you're probably distributing your content too many ways right now and focus on what's that one place that's really your home base that you can build out and build an audience before you then diversify out to all those a million different ways to stream your content today. So Joe, let's make fun of the silver bullets masters, right? That would make a LinkedIn post and say, you can take this content and, and they make a huge list on everywhere the content is and market, they don't put this caveat of, of what you're saying, right? Which is we use what works for you, right? Let me put it this way. It looks sophisticated when you look at marketing in terms of a car engine with multiple parts or a human being with multiple systems, digestive system, respiratory system, and so on, rather than looking at content as a horse because horse doesn't have many parts, right? So what do you tell those people? It's funny. Uh, let's see, back in 2008, 2009, there was a software product called Ping FM. And Ping FM was this amazing new social media tool that you could take one message and put it on over a hundred different sites at the same time. <laughs> so we, isn't that crazy? And, and we thought it was great. I was like, oh my God, I, like I'm posting on Twitter at the time, but that post could go out to everyone and I can absolutely spam the world with it. I think sometimes we forget that just be, first of all, just because you can, doesn't mean you should. And Second thing is strategy is more about saying no, and then you want one big emphatic yes. But the point is, let's just take, let's take LinkedIn, for example. You and I talk on LinkedIn on occasion. I'm on LinkedIn a lot. That's my main social channel. Posting the content on LinkedIn is the smallest thing I do. Most of my time on LinkedIn is commenting on other people's sites and commenting on people who comment on my stuff, building those relationships over a long period of time. That's what makes it work. So if you say, look, we can post on all these social channels. Yes, you can. But you also have to commit to hours and hours of time per day to work all the other stuff because the posting is the small part. If somebody's, let me put it this way, if somebody just posts a video on TikTok and it goes crazy, you might say, wow, that's just that's all they had to do. 
you're not looking at the five hours of other stuff they did that day to make sure that video does what it's supposed to. And you can't do that with every channel. You cannot commit all the resources and be great at everything. So you just have to choose what makes the most sense. So I guess that's where, yes, you can post on all these sites, but you're not going to get it. How many Twitter accounts or how many Instagram accounts do you see that they post and there's nothing? It's crickets. That's the majority of accounts out there. So why not stop posting in all the places and just say, you know what? We can be great and we can spend hours a day on LinkedIn or our TikTok or YouTube. Pick one. And then when you master that one and it's working really well, then you can go on to the next one. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That's great advice. This is a very special topic. And that's what we do on this podcast. We find unanswered questions on popular topics. So your work at Orange Effect might come into play here. And I'm looking at content marketing compliance. Have you had any experience in optimizing content or assets in a way that serves everyone? And by mean everyone, you're looking at accessibility requirements. You are looking at even the tone of voice. You are looking at even the way the content is structured. You are looking at all these things, maybe on your website, you're looking at the language, you're looking at how it connects to your tech and things like that, or even just privacy in itself. When it comes to marketing compliance, what do you see? What what do you see as the future? What do you think that marketers need to keep in mind now that we are all grasped into the knowledge economy and everyone is... Sorry, I, I want to say this quick rant. People overuse everything in marketing. Oh, AI is working. They dump everything else and go to AI. Oh, AI is not working. Let's do this. They dump that and go to something else. But with content marketing compliance and the advice you're about to give, we might be guided when we are moving with all of the other advancements and take care. So am I an expert in any of those things? No. Have I dabbled in most? Yes. The thing that I would say is that we tend to, as marketers, focus on the new creative, the new thing. And I get it, whatever we're trying to sell, and that's fine. But most of the low-hanging fruit and the opportunities to optimize is what's been already done. So that means like, if I was going to get started today and you're like, okay, where are my opportunities with all my, let's say all your website content, I would absolutely do a website audit. You should do one every year and say, okay, what content is working? What's not? What content needs to be updated? Oh my God, have we updated our content? Hopefully in our content management system, we get a note when this one, this blog needs to be updated, when this content needs to be updated. All right, if it's updated, is it accessible? Like, is it working for everyone? If Who's our audience and are they getting it? Let's look at our YouTube content that's already out there. What Does it need captions? Are the captions auto-generated? Are those worthwhile? Do we need to insert those? So these are questions that just... Somebody who's used to working in structural content will ask. So all I would say is creating the new content is great. We all do it. We all want to deliver consistently with our podcast, newsletter, and everything else. But you probably have a large amount of content out there already. Some is working and could work really well if you tweaked it a little bit and you have somebody seriously look at it. Some of it's not working and it's probably hurting you and you should get rid of a lot of that content. And I'll end with this story just to make the point. This is Robert Rose's story. He worked with one of the largest B2B companies in the world and they had a project. They had something like 2,000 PDFs as part of their website. 
and they had a whole new branding thing and they were making someone go through everyone and update the branding and update the calls to action in all 2000. This was before it couldn't be automated. They had to go through this. And luckily somebody like Robert was there and said, Hey, before you update all 2000 of these pages, maybe you should see if any of them are getting any kind of traffic at all. And what they found out was 98% got zero traffic the year before. So the person could delete a hundred, whatever it was, 190 some different PDFs because nobody was going to that content anymore. And they could focus on the four that was work, were working. I'm telling you that because that's the kind of opportunity that is available to us on our website right now. And if we cut that content, that's going to be killed. The rest of our site works a little bit better. Yeah, that's for all you volume jacks out there. Let's keep pumping a hundred posts like Gary Vaynerchuk. No, you need to be focused. You need to be strategic. And if you need to take cost corrections, then take cost corrections and ramp that up if you want to do that. So thanks for sharing that perspective there around that. Guys, it's been fun so far. We have one more question to ask. Joe, but before then, a lot of other entertainment happening here. So I want you to stay with us. But before then, if you're enjoying this, please do hesitate to review. You can review on Apple or Spotify, depending on which world you are in. And what we're also doing right now is because we don't have as many reviews. So we will be reading one review per episode. I guess as it increases, we don't get to do that. So if you want to be the pioneer the reviewer, you want to get your voice heard, then you want to do that. Now I'm going to read one. Very short. Sometimes they mention my name. Just act as if you didn't listen to that. It's titled, Well Worth a Listen. Well Worth a Listen. And I quote, Dots runs a great podcast with tremendous insights for marketers. Your review could be as simple as that, but that helps us out. That helps me out. We are doing something really unique here and could get this content out to many other people as well. Before... We continue. We're going to take a very quick commercial break from our sponsor. And where we come back is the Dots Rapid Fire, where we'll take Joe through the hot marketing kitchen and see if he can stand it. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. If you're a business needing content promotion, podcast campaign production, or are looking to build effective B2B marketing strategies, Dots is here to offer you ultimate marketing leadership and expertise. Find out more at www.dotslovesmarketing.com. Guys, welcome back. It's the Dots Rapid Fire Inside the Dots Marketing Leadership Podcast. Don't get it twisted. Okay, so Joe, we are in the marketing courtroom, also called the marketing kitchen, where things are very hot. Uh, it's three questions. We're going to say the truth. And nothing but the truth. So I hope you got. Are you ready? Okay, good. What is your best marketing KPI? And I don't want to hear sales or revenue because that's a lazy answer. Email subscribers would be number one. I and, and I, I don't know how quickly we got to go, but I believe if you can get an email subscriber to opt into your messaging and build that relationship over a long period of time, ultimately they become to know, like, and trust you, and they'll buy anything from you. So I always opt for don't sell first. You want to educate through content, build them as a subscriber, and then go from there. Interesting. Interesting. Second question. 
How long do you use social media every day? Probably one hour. And most of that is on LinkedIn today. I used to split my time between Twitter X now and LinkedIn, but most of my time is through LinkedIn. I use LinkedIn for my newsletter distribution. I post almost every day and then we live stream our podcast, The Sold Marketing through LinkedIn as well. So, and most of that time I would say is following up the comments. Makes sense. X is the platform that makes you feel dirty. So... <laughs> I just wish it worked. I got a lot of followers on, on X that don't see my stuff anymore. So what are you going to do? Yeah. Okay. Last question. What is your favorite marketing quote? Oh, I can't think of a marketing quote, but I'll give you a favorite quote. It's basically, if you tried to do something and failed, you're vastly better off than if you had tried to do nothing and succeeded. So basically my whole thing is that sometimes you just have to put yourself out there and try and see how it goes. And most of the spoils go to those that risk something. So that's why we do what we do. You risk yourself every time you do a podcast. I risk myself. The more we can put ourselves out there, the more chance it's success. Absolutely. It's almost similar to the quote, fear is worse than failure. I'm always selling that in my house all the time because it's not the crazy one, but it's the crazy one that succeeds. Exactly. Yeah. And then I guess the other thing that I would say, not a quote, is that I like the idea of strategy is about saying no to many things and an emphatic yes to one or two. And I think that's how you succeed with marketing today. Yeah. I remember you mentioned that a couple of times as well. So if you're listening, that is very important uh, because sometimes we are always, not sometimes, all the time, marketers are always distracted. Okay. This last question here. When it comes to the future of something, we need a Nostradamus, right? And it, there's no better one for content marketing than yourself. You coined the term in 2021. You've been driving that till today. So you need to tell us what the future is going to look like, okay? So that we can quote you 10 years from now of all 2030, seven years from now. Now, in the kind of predictions I'm looking for, someone in the MarTech side of things, so the marketing, technology, content-related, side of things and also in the creative side of things as well. So do you have any of innovations that you think might come out or is already in development, just needs to ramp up between now and the end of the decade that that is always in your mind that you like people like us uh, listening or watching to know? I don't know how to answer that. I will. I don't know how to answer that because all I've been thinking about from a tech standpoint is the new AI tech that is coming out so rapidly. And what I think about often is Paul didn't say this, but I heard it from, so Paul Ratzer is the founder of the Marketing AI Institute. And he always reminds me, he says, the AI version that you're using right now, whether whatever AI tool or chat GPT is the dumbest version you'll ever use. So I'm anticipating in six months, it'll be 10 times better. And in six more months, it'll be 10 times better. I think that if I am a marketer right now and to give people advice on tools, it would be start to test these tools. Spend an hour a day fiddling around with these tools, testing them, figuring out what's going on, because we're in for a revolution that, that I've never seen before. The content marketing revolution is going to be nothing compared to what we're going to see with AI. I think there's a huge opportunity for a lot of people that embrace 
understanding what's going on with AI tools. And I think we're going to see a lot of job loss. I'm anticipating crazy things like most people in three or four years are going to have some kind of AI assistant or AI friend that they talk to on a regular basis. It could be less. We're already seeing it now. They're using it in dating. They're using it with elderly people. They're lonely that like you have your AI friend. It's going to get nuts and it's going to get even nuttier in marketing. So I don't know what any particular tool is, whether that's ChatGPT. I use ChatGPT. I use Dolly. Midjourney, I want to get into. I'm trying to use these tools, but I want to use them for good. And I want to use them keeping my own thoughts and creative ability central and then using the tools to enhance that, not to replace that. So that's what I would recommend is that's what I want to see focused on. Who knows? The, tool, the tools are already there where you don't have to do any content yourself. But is that the right way to go? Is that going to be the type of content we want? I don't think so. So my recommendation is dive in, be curious, figure out what's going to happen. If you do that, you will have an opportunity to do whatever you want in the next couple of years, because so many people are shying away from that or they're scared of it. Mm, interesting. You mentioned AI being your friend there. So do you think content marketing is going to grow to a level where AI works with voice search and we're able to write content, I guess it won't be called SEO at that point to be called SVO or something, search voice optimization. No, that's a good point. I, I think that most searches will become audio or vo voice searches versus I think typing will be antiquated in five, six years for search. It'll all be done through voice. It'll be done through point and click, whatever, whatever you were using to get there, it's going to be nuts. So how do you market today if you, you don't drive value in some way? So right, where are we going to be at in the future? I can't even, I can't even, dots, I can't even see out six months. Try things like, for example, with audiobooks. I know that instead of spending, so for time savings and I can do other things, instead of spending 15 hours in the studio doing an audiobook, I could, if I decided to record two minutes of my voice and then have that audio generated to be 99% of me. How do I feel about that? I don't know. <laughs> it's really hard to do an audiobook and it it feels like you've accomplished something and I like that people can listen to my voice. But if there's no difference, I don't know. It's a tough call. As you can tell, I'm perplexed by the whole thing right now, to be honest. I know. Speaking of audiobooks, I am a fan of audiobooks. Because of audiobook, I've read things like Killer Marketing and many of the other books out there, which I made some notes and shared learnings from. So it's not like because it's audio is not valuable. But I, I, I get what you mean in terms of the, the human side of things, right? I've read audio, audio books where so, someone coughed. And I was like, hey, man, you coughed in your audio book. And it's like, okay, we check that out. But they need a better, yeah. If that happens, they need a better production editor. That should not happen. You should redo that take. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so what are we not seeing in marketing? Anyway, I know I can go on and on here, but we are at time. This has been an awesome conversation. I hope it matches the entertainment that you have in your own podcast, which is what we try to do. Thank you so much for sharing the wisdom both in and out of this episode. Where can people find you, future marketing leaders, those who don't know you already? So joepolizzi.com, P-U-L-I-Z-Z-I, -Z -Z that you can get my personal newsletter on that page. It comes with all kinds of goodies. If you sign up to the newsletter, it comes out every two weeks. The Tilt is our content creation newsletter. So if you're a content entrepreneur, you're looking to launch a content business, that would be the newsletter. And then 
the event coming up, as we talked about, Creator Economy Expo, May 5th through 7th in Cleveland, Ohio. I'll be there. You'll be there. Like, hopefully, we'll have a lot of fun in person. And I love in-person events, especially in this time of AI. The most important thing we can do is build our relationships. And in-person is the easiest way to do that. So I hope to see everybody there. Yeah, that's right. Like you said, I will be there certainly as an attendee and in faith as a speaker. So we'll see how it goes. <laughs> All right, guys, that's all we have for you. See more episodes on my website. Episodes that are as nice as this, it's dotslovesmarketing.com. And also your favorite podcast channel, whether it's Apple, Spotify, or YouTube. Just search the Marketing Leadership Podcast. You will find us there and you can subscribe. I'd like to thank Desrig and Content Allies for their support. Also, check out my new venture, listennetwork.co, where we boost your podcast with proprietary add technology. Till next episode, connect the dots. Thank you for listening to the Marketing Leadership Podcast, brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. There will be links to any resources mentioned in today's show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. This episode is brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. If you're a business needing content promotion, podcast campaign production, or are looking to build effective B2B marketing strategies, Dots is here to offer you ultimate marketing leadership and expertise. Find out more at www.dotslovesmarketing.com.